Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you want interesting and entertaining debate on the Premier League and other English leagues, but from a show that doesn't take itself too seriously, then check out The Whistleblowers. It's a weekly football podcast hosted by me. I used to play football, Martin Gritton, uh, stand-up Mark Smith when he can, and music manager Gareth Dobson, who uh, always has plenty of good chat, being a Spurs fan. Um we basically get football writers in to have a chat as well. And we talk about the stories that matter in English football, whether it's on the pitch or off it. It's free to listen to iTunes, Acast, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, or you can download the Whistleblowers app and follow us on Twitter at Football Podcast. Cheers. Hello and welcome to the Newcastle Natter. My name is Fergus Craig and I am joined by Paul Doolan. Hello. And Dave Watson. Hi, I'm writing notes. Great. Okay, fantastic. Are they about football, Dave? Yes. Dave, you are striking me very much as a man who has no interest in uh, opening the pod with some chit-chat. You want to get straight down to what I is a positive... yeah, let's. I mean, let's 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 talk about football because it's been a while since we've had the opportunity to do so. Since the last podcast, we uh, the last podcast was after the Man United game, and since then we've had a late draw with Wolves. We've had a two-one victory against Everton, and we've had a two-nil loss away against Southampton. And I would like to put forward the case that those three games in their totality represent where we are as a football club. Paul Doolan? Yeah. Was that that you don't disagree at all? I don't disagree at all. But but Paul, you know, you were called on. I think after the Man U game especially, we were saying there has to be some sort of turnaround after that in performance, not just result. And 
the Wolves on was definitely a better performance. We were probably a bit lucky for the draw, but not completely outplayed. Then the Everton game, we, I thought, played really well. You kind of think we've turned a corner now. That's not just, that's not a lucky win. It probably should have been 2-0 rather than 2-1 and we were the better team. Then we go into Southampton game and get, I think it was as bad as the Brighton game, if not worse, completely outplayed. It was weird. If I, I mean, we're a mid-table team, so you expect to sort of win, lose and draw without any consistency, really. You expect us to have no idea when we're going to win, lose or draw against who. But the the consistency of performance is the weird thing because like the Southampton game, we didn't seem capable of passing the ball to each other. Whereas only a week ago against Everton, it just seemed it seemed like a different team every week. It's baffling. So, so uh, Dave, should we talk about the Southampton game then? It was the most recent game. And yeah, but I, I was just going to pick up on something that, that Paul said there, that, that the passing seemed uh, terrible in the Southampton game. We couldn't keep possession. So I, obviously, because of who I am and how I'm built, I had a look at the stats. And the the, the pass percentage against Southampton was, uh, it was about on average, about 75%. And the pass percentage against Everton was 77%. So I think the... Um, I certainly thought that we, we played well against Everton. I thought they laid, he, he laid down uh, what looked to me like the best way for this group of players to to get results and to actually play quite well. You know, with five at the back and like um, energetic energy in, in the centre of the park and Wilson up front and you know, it, it looked like oh super. That's 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 the right way to approach most games. And then we went into the Southampton game. We we named a, an unchanged lineup and an unchanged system, but we just looked. I don't know, just terrible. Just but the, it's like the, you the say about the, was awful. I'll um, I'll uh, you know I'll go along with your stats thing for a moment. Um, it's like you say the pass percentage was pretty similar. Mm. our possession stats against Southampton I think they were like 38% or something which is not you know you don't have to be a possession football side to do well in the Premier League and you know that is fine in of itself I think most of us would agree that the Everton performance was a good one the Southampton performance was a terrible one it was it's just in the Southampton game we just kept on losing the ball in insane positions by just dawdling on the ball. I mean, the most, let's talk about specifics. The most memorable moment in the game for me was uh, the situation with, for the first goal, where Almiron was on the ball for what felt like six or seven minutes. (laughs) 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 Pissing around in the corner. And eventually lost it to Theo Walcott and uh, we gave away a goal. Uh, it was kind of because he was sort of let down by the rest of our team, though, wasn't he? I mean, he did, did have the option to pass it to Jamal Lewis. Mm. But I know it's Jeff Hendrick needed to be running to give him an option and just wasn't. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's not just the player who's on the ball. It's the people not on the ball, not, 
offering that player an easy option. But I think it was yeah. it was notable anytime you watch Southampton coming forward, there's always one or two players available to pass it to. They've always got triangles in the middle of the park and they can just pass it round mm. our midfield. We get to the same we've said it a few times. Anytime the ball gets to our wing backs or midfielders, there's no you, they've even got the option to play a very safe ball backwards to the side or thread it through the eye of a needle like through ball. There's never a sort mm. of simple forward pass. Because I no. feel like a lot of credit has to go to Southampton for just how well they pressed. But I feel they like were really good Southampton, weren't they? But Dave. it's odd because when we've had this formation before, I think we've sort of resorted to long ball. So the pressing hasn't really mattered because there's not been a midfield to press. We've just mm. hoofed it. I think it's the it's the one time I've missed us hoofing the ball. I think I think that that, that Southampton are a very good pressing side, and they've they've shown that. Um, that's that's the way Hasenhutl wants them to play. So setting up as we did with the formation and the personnel that we did, I, I did want us to, like you say, just resort to not resort to like rely on longer balls to to get to break that that press because we don't have the players to to pass around. Um, pass around the press and, and have them chasing shadows. So let's just keep the keep our shape, and then you know look for the longer balls when you've got runners like Saint Maximum, Almiron, and Wilson, who are perfectly capable of chasing after a lost cause and maybe getting something out of it. But I thought that was obvious in within the first like ten minutes, and we didn't. It didn't feel to me like we altered. The, the initial game plan we stuck with trying to pass it out even though I mean the I mean you'll have seen it like uh, Darlow and Lascelles were, were screaming at their teammates to to wake up it just felt like it honestly felt like they were they were hung over like the performance was that bad from each of the players I think I think we're renowned as a squad for being very into American politics <laughs> I think they were all sort of, you know, if you think that was a Friday night game and the result had start, still not been allowed, announced in the States. So that whole team had been up for sort of three nights in a row, waiting all night long, thinking that the result was going to come from the States and it never did. So <laughs> I wonder if we've got any, because I know we've got a few fans, um, fans, a few listeners who are Newcastle fans. Um, Abroad, I wonder if we've got any like hardcore Trump fans listening to uh, listening to the pod. I, I really enjoy it's that. Possible. It's possible, Dave. We've got, um, you know, I'd imagine we've got a, a hugely broad demographic. <laughs> um, but to get back to the, the the Southampton game, I think what what was telling to for me is that when when we were put under that pressure consistently throughout the game, we didn't change it. We didn't have the leadership on the pitch or from the, from the sidelines to, to change things. I think I said it in the WhatsApp group that for all Darlow and Lascelles were shouting at people, nobody really grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck. Nobody dragged the performance out of the, the other, the other players. And I think, I think that's something that, we're really lacking, like certainly in the centre of the park. I just it just seemed to 
feels like we've lacked that for years, haven't haven't we? We've got Shelby just isn't and not obviously not that Shelby's played the last couple of games, but Shelby just isn't the player that you want someone of his ability and experience to be. No. We just lack as a club a central midfielder who I mean, we've had so many of them over the years of varying degrees of quality, but we just although we've actually got quite a few central defenders who do have talent. We've got no one who, like you say, can take the game by the scruff of the neck. And and I don't even mean like a you know a, a, a top class player who with no. his ability, just somebody who takes responsibility for it. Because like like Joey Barton and Kevin Nolan used to do it in their own you know disparate ways. And you know way back when it was Gary Speed or it was it was Rob Lee or they would drag the team forward either by grafting their ass off to try and win the ball back or or make the tackle or make the block or whatever. I think Hayden's, like missing Hayden, if Hayden had been playing against the Southampton team, I think, I don't think we would have looked as bad. We might still have lost because Southampton were very, very good and they went top of the table because of the win. But I just don't think we would have looked as bad with Hayden in the pitch. I just, with Hendrick, I just, I don't see the point in him. Did I did feel throughout the game, though, and this is maybe it says more about me than us, but I did feel throughout the game that we were sort of in it, certainly until the second goal went in, which was, wasn't until quite late, was it? Yeah, 82nd minute, the second goal. We felt that still in it a bit. I think in the way we have in a lot of recent games where it would have almost been embarrassing to draw. You sort mm. of think once or twice, that's fine, but you get to a point... Like the Spurs game on top of a few other late draws where you think we've it's entertaining to have one or two of those a season, but when you start having loads of them, you just think, what are we just making up the numbers in the league? Yeah. That playing it from the back thing, surely that's not an absolute instruction that's come from Steve Bruce. Surely. Yeah. You oh, think of course it will be suddenly decided that we're particularly... Well, he's, he's talked about wanting to be more progressive and play on the front foot more, and that's probably part of that. It's that thing of that's probably not the game to try it. And you would have thought that, I cannot imagine, you, you hear about Guardiola getting mad at players for hoofing it, when anyone watching the game would have thought, well, he was in a situation there where he had to have it. But Guardiola being a purist, where we have to always play it out from the back 100% at the time. I don't imagine that being the instruction from Steve Bruce. No, but I I think because of the success that we had by actually playing football in the Everton game, even though we were, you know, set up with a defensive you know, defensive five, I think we still tried to play football uh, with the ball on the deck a lot more. And I think it, honestly, it looked to me like, well, it worked that one, so it'll work this one. And I just, I don't think that takes into account the opposition. I think there's an arrogance there that, well, they'll have to change their game to to deal with us. And I don't think Southampton needed to. They they could play their normal game. And against a team like, like ourselves, who can't keep the ball, um, it was our undoing. I do think in some ways that's... I agree picking the same 
I don't know if it was the lineup or the the way we set up or what, but I think I was saying to you on the WhatsApp before this game, there was a lot of Newcastle fans being like, "Can't believe Bruce is just picking the same team again." I don't mind that when you're on a winning run. Most like good teams do do that. I think the issue with the passing style is there was just as soon as our midfielders got it, there's no there's no out ball. I think a lot of that's more to do with shape as well. Normally. If you're going to set up that deep and play for counter-attack, really, you want to have Almiron and St. Maximin somewhere they can be found and be threatening, which is probably on the wings. I think St. Maximin in the number 10 doesn't really do anything. He's looked a shadow of the player he has been in that role. Almiron puts a shift in, in central midfield, but the problem with it is when he has... Well, we saw what the problem is with it for the first goal. You don't want him necessarily too near the penalty box. No. I think the idea with St. Maximin is less, it's not that he's so much in the number 10 role, it's that he has a free role, isn't it? The yeah. idea is he can show up wherever he likes. I Which think I said ages ago. Yeah, I think I said ages ago that I would prefer to see Fraser on one wing, Almiron on the other, and, and Alan St. Maximin given, given a free role. Um, if this is what that looks like, I'm wrong. He he needs to, like Paul says, be in a, in an area where he can, um, you know, he can attack the space. He can attack because he'll often be like one on one with the right back, or he'll be, um, you know, sufficiently far up that he's running onto the ball. Like putting him in that that free role, he tends to drift to the, towards the centre. And when he drifts towards the centre, he's got two two centre-backs in front of him, uh, likely a central midfielder by, and also the two full-backs can cover. And while he does have the ability to dribble past a couple of players, there isn't the space. So yeah, I, I think move him back out to the wing, and especially when you've got five at the back, because then Lewis isn't going to be ganged up on by the by the, um, the the opposition right winger and the opposition right back because he'll have a bit of support from the the, the spare central midfielder and the spare um, centre-back. So I, I no problem playing five at the back at all. I think it was the right call against Everton and a different style of football, it would could have been the right call against Southampton as well. I think, I think as well. I see that maybe if he did go back on the wing, I could imagine him creating more chances per game. Basically, beating yeah. someone and putting a ball in. Go on, Paul. Well, I think, yeah, he's more dangerous having a defence to run at rather than getting the ball back to goal and having four players to beat. But I think, as well, our wing backs against Everton, they were, especially second half, so much further forward. And it, they're that out ball, they're the bits making those other parts of the triangles that you can pass it to. But they were playing like full backs. I don't know if that's more to do with Southampton's pressing or just the way we set up, but I think they need to be the ones supporting St. Maximin getting forward as mm. soon as there's a counter. Because there's still three, well, five players back if you're looking at Hendrick and Longstaff there. Mm. They should be bombing it down, but I think that was, it was definitely Murphy's worst game for some time. And Lewis didn't particularly do much. It's a shame because he's really good from crosses when he does I, get I, Again, I, I was just going to say that I think a lot of the, the reason that so many of our players looked bad was because A, they were, they were disinterested or drunk and 
the other was that Southampton pressed so well and it was such an organised press that they they were going to make us look bad. If we if we kept playing the way we did, we were just going to come off looking idiots. And I think we did. I think we looked naive. Maybe part of it is just as simple as, uh, if you talk about the, last, the difference between the last two games, we played Everton when they were, after a good start to the season, having a dip. And we played Southampton the night that they went top of the Premier League for the first time in their history. You know, part of it is that we happened to catch one side in form and one side not in form. But yeah, I agree that that whole press same thing wasn't going up for us. Let's um, talk just before we move on from it. Let's talk about the Everton game a little bit because that was good. And I feel like that, was, as is the way with all our victories and good performances, it is completely forgotten. Um, Wilson got uh, a couple of goals. It felt like the whole game we dominated. But one thing I wanted to mention was that, maybe dominate is the wrong word, but, you know, I felt like it was probably our best performance of the season so far, right? Yeah. And Fraser came on from the bench it's so sad that he wasn't able to come on for the Southampton because I thought he had his best moment in a Newcastle shirt creating the goal for Wilson. Yeah, he, he, looks, he looks very <laughs> dangerous. The worry now is that him and Wilson are both out injured. Mm. I saw something today that, that Wilson's going to be out um, basically until the new year but to to stay on the positives oh, from really shit yeah uh, to stay on the positives from Everton what what I saw was how I'd like us to play um in a lot of games which is a lot of energy um the, those passing triangles that you were talking about Paul I thought they were more evident I don't think we're you know Ajax total football or anything no. like that but I thought we were I thought it was our best performance there seemed to be an understanding between the players of where they were going to be and I thought the two wing backs had that that style really got the most out of both of them and I, yeah I'd, I'd be quite happy for us to set up with that five at the back and just depending on the opposition just just tweak the way that we're playing even if it's mid-game if if you know if plan a is not working then just shift and and maybe go long or if you've gone long originally and now you just you you're getting pushed further and further and further back because the ball's just not sticking then then try and pass about a bit and just control the football a bit more even if you know you do end up giving it away a couple of times it just takes the pressure off a bit so in terms of formation five at the back Maybe we don't need uh, Callum Wilson because at the end of the Southampton game, our number nine, war number nine, <laughs> war Joe Linton <laughs> came on with one of the best headers I've ever seen. It's yeah, amazing. <laughs> took a brilliant save to keep it out. I mean, that... Every now and again, Joe Linton does something that makes you go, oh, that's why he's a professional footballer. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always a little bit different. It was like, that was a phenomenal header. 
He never seems to have those I, moments when he's up front on his own, though. It's always deeper. Mm. I think it worries yeah. me more the idea of him replacing Wilson. I'd probably rather no, Gale up front instead of Wilson. Who, who is? I'd rather have Gale instead up front of, than Joel Linton, not instead of Wilson. Uh, totally, I agree. But Gale isn't available either, is he? He's back in training, no. I think. Yeah, but we we it would be really really stupid to rush him back. Rush him back, like rush him back. Rush him back. I think. There's a question. There's a miserable. There's a miserable question in the knowledge that if if Callum Wilson is indeed not available for a couple of months, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) But um, he has offered this team so much this season in the way we play take him out of it I think we'll all agree that Joe Linton is not who we want in that position if Gale isn't fit to start what are we talking about Andy Carroll yeah I think there's no other options are there yeah I mean unless unless you go to the youth teams which I think would be very very risky because it it doesn't it doesn't I've not seen or read anything that suggests that we've got like even someone of Adam Armstrong's caliber like if if we had a if Adam Armstrong was like 18 19 and on the books and everything that you read about him and how impressive he was if he was thrown in for a couple of months before Christmas, then then you know, fine. But I've not seen anything that suggests we've got that. Or so Ivan Tony, to Andy Carroll. Yeah, Ivan Tony is two well. of the yeah. championships top scorers. <laughs> yeah, he got rid of for Barton's. So, um, unless there's anything specific that we want to say about those two games, should we have a quick break now and then we'll um, yeah. open up the Pandora's box that is social media um i've got a few questions and comments on newcastle now <coughs> i haven't checked any of them but i assume that they're overwhelmingly positive um so uh we'll um we'll have a quick break now and then we'll get back to you after that If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Hello, welcome back. Good break, guys. Excellent. No, No, actually... What's wrong, Paul? No, it's fine. Just one of the best. Good. Okay. So uh, let's go straight in on uh, Twitter and see what 
the Newcastle United fan base have to say. Nick Bird has uh, a good question, uh, which is kind of difficult to answer. Of the two performances, which was a truer, truer reflection of NUFC under Bruce? Dave? Southampton. Thought you might say that. Paul? We've seen more performances like the Southampton one, but the whole point of Newcastle under Bruce is that it the two games kind of sum it up. There's no... It's not all shy. You coward. You coward. It's like asking which is a true reflection. You coward. Like it's red, green, or... You lit- no, you, lit- you, you've literally said we've seen more performances like Southampton, which is the more true... Which of the two is a truer reflection. So therefore, it's the Southampton because that's the one that's reflected in the, the, the more games. But I think the two taken was, together are a better reflection of Newcastle under Bruce than either in isolation would be my answer. I think the Wolves game and the Southampton game are better reflections as a, as a pair because I think the Wolves game, we weren't great, but we got a point. And the Southampton game, we weren't great and we got I think we if were we comprehensively outplayed. I think if we're going to cherry pick games, I think all the games under Bruce together <laughs> are a good reflection of Newcastle under Bruce. Which you said more of them were like the Southampton game. So I'm going to take that as your answer. Fergus, do you want to, do you want to try and make this a 2-1? Because at the minute, it's a whitewash. No, I think that... Uh, yeah, I'm just going to equivocate, you know. I think that just the two of them together are a reflection. Oh. No, you're right. If more performances are like the Southampton game, then yes, I see what you're saying. The Southampton, I don't know, what's the difference between median and whatever, different kinds of averages? Median mode and what's the other Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's like, uh, we're a mid-table side, right? Yeah. And a mid-table side will win some, lose some and draw some. That's going to just keep happening. And that is what we do it is but you know i know you could make the case that some of our victories are more not even great performances or whatever so all i was going to say is that a mid-table side will win draw and lose games yes i totally agree but a lot of mid-table sides will they won't put in as bad a performance against what is ostensibly a, a mid-table rival, as you saw against Southampton, um, they might be able to raise their game or it might be an aberration, but we consistently perform quite badly. And yet we're still in the table. That's, that's a good thing for me. I, I don't know if that's true, though, but only because I don't watch other mid-table teams playing each other. I think we might, it might be slightly skewed because we mainly see the big games but Newcastle's mid-table games we see all of. I think of all the last three games, the Wolves game is more representative of us under Bruce than any of the other two. I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. So I was curious about um, where we should expect to be as a side before we did this podcast tonight. And I had a look at the salary table like the payroll Premier League table. And we are, where do you reckon we are in the Premier League payroll table, guys? It's not a trick question. I'd say after this summer, we've probably gone up a bit. 
maybe 13th? I would say about 15th, yeah. I'll split the difference. We are 14th in the mm. Premier League payroll table. I was interested to see um, uh, who's sixth, right? This is Manu first, Chelsea second, Man City third, Arsenal fourth, Liverpool fifth. Who do you reckon is sixth in the Premier League West Ham table? No. They are Everton. just No. No. Leicester. Aston Villa. No. Shall I tell you? Hang on. Please. We've, we've Otherwise, we'll just list all of them. Fulham. No, Fulham are below us. Go on, then. Sick is Crystal Palace. Bloody hell. Crystal Palace is the sixth I mean, largest weight. Star, star is going to be dragging them up a fair bit, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, there's one player, though, isn't it? I guess they've signed players yeah, it's like that on big wages. Yeah, well, but I mean, Zaha's not on, even if he was on 400 grand a week, which he's not, in, in Premier League terms, that's not going to move you many ben places. Benteke, he won't be on peanuts, will he? No. <coughs> anyway, that's just me smugly baking the case that uh, we're the sort of way you'd expect us to be. Uh, okay. <laughs> 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 I, I have I have a problem with that math but that's fine that math where, well, maths, where maths, should we maths, maths. I where math should we be um, it, no it's not the, uh, my point was going to be that salary doesn't necessarily reflect quality and it just because we're 14th in the, the table, it depends how we pay the, the players that we've got. And also, I'm not getting into it, but who's coaching and who's managing because the there are teams with less money than, than, than Newcastle, like Sheffield United last season, Leeds this season. Um, I yeah, wouldn't be surprised be... to see like Aston Villa and stuff like that that yeah, are around us. That's the point. Every... Every f- football fan essentially wants, wants their team to overachieve, right? And you're entitled to be disappointed that your team... We can look at Sheffield... Sheffield United are bottom of the payroll table. So you can always look at Sheffield United, for example, or, you know, there'll always be sides that are overachieving and there'll always be sides that are underachieving. I'm just making the case that for couple of years now we've basically achieved exactly what you'd expect to side on our payroll to achieve i think another so, metric and, as and well we say that again another metric so i was looking the other week at is it transfermarkt.co.uk yeah and that does the squad right, yeah. value they have us 12th so that's below west ham villa wolves leicester everton arsenal spurs manu chelsea man city liverpool but for all our, and I'll, I'll just, for all my whining in recent podcasts about everybody else whining, and for all my, like, <laughs> defense, defense of where we are as a club, I've realized that there's not something that I'm not saying enough. And I really did uh, grow to accept that 
texts in into my being, sitting and watching that Southampton game. We have been fucking boring for years. Yeah, like I I have enjoyed watching us many times just because I like sport and I like it when we like get a late goal or whatever, even if it's a bad performance. We are boring and we've been boring for years. Kieran Dyer mentioned it as a pundit a couple of games ago. He said we've been boring for about five years. And it is true. And that's not a, me making a point on any particular manager or anything. No, no. We are boring. Yeah, I think you can I th- probably I think that count comes on from one the... hand the number of games that you would like to watch as a neutral that we've been involved in in the last five years. Yeah. Not many yeah, even that ever. Even that Everton game, uh, it was enjoyable, I think, because of the low bar. I think if because it was it was decent, but it wasn't it wasn't scintillating football. It wasn't yeah. wasn't exciting. Well, in part, it was exciting, but you know what I mean. It wasn't. No, I don't know what you mean. Yeah, I'm not, and, yeah. and I'm and I'm not making a point about about previous managers or or anything. But even under like Hutton, there were. I mean, we we comfortably won the championship and it was a laugh because we were winning games comfortably. But there were plenty of games in that, that season which were dull because it was pragmatic, it was sensible, it was it was safe football. And I grew up, and I'm sure you two are the same, watching bonkers football under Keegan and really, really good football under Robson. And even the even under play even under managers like Hullet, there were there were some games which were it was good football. It was good to watch. But like you say, the last, what, five, six, maybe more, Pardew, his football was more interesting than Rafa Benitez's. I, I absolutely take that. There was one, that one season under, under Pardew, you know, which I know most people would say was an anomaly, where we just happened to have an incredible squad hmm. and finished fifth. Really entertaining football as well. Yeah, I think we were a good Ryan, team to watch. Ryan Tiote in the middle of the park. Sorry, go on, Paul. We were a good team to watch for neutrals that season. We were excited. We had lots of exciting yeah. players. But that was one as well where we yeah. were talking about earlier. We wouldn't, you knew what the team sheet would be every week. You knew what the formation would be. There was none of this, like, why are we picking the same team all the time? Thing that seems to have cropped up in the last year or so. When I was thinking about us, the other night, and I was thinking of how much we desperately need a half-decent central midfielder. I was thinking, about, it's not that long ago that we had Genie Wijnaldum. No. And didn't really, I mean, he used to really annoy me as a midfielder because he just seemed to go missing. But, you know, I guess he's, once you put him in a top side or surround him with top players and with a top manager, then... He becomes a top. It's a good question. Yeah. Of our current players, who do you think would be best suited to a top team? If it was all set up right for them. Uh, I'd say Wilson or Almiron, probably. Yeah, I would say I would say Almiron. Um I mean you can, it's far too early to judge on Lewis, but yeah, Almiron. Definitely not St. Maximum because he he, he doesn't He's not. He's not good enough to make up for the 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 inadequacies of his game. And the rest of them, like not Longstaff, certainly not not Shelby. Like none of our centre halves. 
Do you wish we know they're good? Fifty million from Man U for Sean Longstaff the other year. I know it's if too we were owned by somebody off. else, yeah, yeah, yeah. If true. we were owned by somebody else, yeah, definitely. But I still think I still think he's a decent player, and I think if him and Hayden in the centre is is what we should be aiming to to field every game. But um, it is an odd one, Hayden being on the bench the last two games. I'd sort. I hope it's down to fitness rather than sort of tactical things. We are going to need him a lot this season, especially we've got so many. Bruce, does seem, to, Bruce does seem to really like, like Hendrick, and um, Hendrick was not good against Southampton. No, <laughs> I think that was his worst He's game. He's not been good since his debut. He's been okay. He's been steady since his debut, I would say. He's been patchy. Six yeah. out of ten, probably. Yeah, I, I thought he was bad yeah. against Southampton. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the first game where I've really noticed it. I've noticed him being bad. I know that like mm. he's sometimes been notable by his absence in games. You sort of gone, where's Hendrick? But like Southampton, I was like, um, yeah, yeah. I'm starting to have an opinion on Hendrick, and it's not good. Yeah, I thought he was fine was, against Everton. But no better than that. We'll see. Uh, back to Twitter. John Easton says, other than Lejeune's heroics at Everton, can anyone remember a game under Bruce where we've gone behind but managed to rescue a point or snatch a win? And I'm sorry, John, but that that question blew my mind because I thought I thought that almost defines a period under Bruce. We do that all the time. Not Spurs that, like, this season, all... Wolves this season. It's too yeah, but... yeah, Spurs this season, Wolves this season, uh, Newport County. Oh come on! <laughs> no, but that's again. Yeah, it's a terrible. What I'm what I'm saying is. I'm not saying good performances. I'm saying that if there's one thing we've done quite often under Bruce, it's we did it last season quite often as well. Is do a terrible performance and then in the last five minutes get ourselves an equaliser and everyone goes, "Well, how the fuck did that happen?" I'm sure we've even spoken about it last season, where like before Bruce, we were never really a team that came from behind, and that's one of the few things he's changed for the in the mentality of the players or whatever it comes down to but it's that's been one of the notable differences mm. i do think the one thing for people on the outside who are trying to work out how is steve bruce steve stealing a living as a football manager it seems that people who have worked with him the one thing a lot of them will say about him is that he's a good manager, man manager. Yeah. So I do wonder whether for all his lacking in tactics, I mean, I talk about the, what you expect from clubs and the salary table. I mean, uh, Southampton aren't, don't have that much of a larger wage bill than us. And, uh, they are going to have a much better season than us because they've got a manager who's doing some exciting things there. But I think they have have. a better transfer policy than us over the last few years as well. But 
But maybe Bruce is quite a good motivator. Maybe. Yeah. I Hard think that's to say. Until the Amazon documentary comes out. <laughs> It won't it's be called all or nothing, will it? Well, he has the bacon. <laughs> <laughs> the case I just made would be immediately disproved. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that does seem to be his main <laughs> his main skill as a manager. You do some managers are better tactically, some are better motivators. There's lots of different things, but he seems very much a man manager at the expense mm. of all the other things. Yeah. And I think I think the reverse was true for, for Benitez because all you hear from the, the players who played under him was that he was he came across quite cold and quite like mm. um he, he didn't really you know get to know them as, as players. Um but he was all about the forensic attention to detail. And I think the what you've got in managers like Klopp, Guardiola, Hassan to a lesser degree, Nuno Espirito Santo to a lesser degree. Um, all of these are are a little bit, like they're much better at tactics than Bruce, but are also good mo- man motivators. I don't I don't think it has to be a binary thing. Um, no. But I don't I don't think Newcastle United under Mike Ashley are going to find a gem like that because we we go for known managers. Here's a question that I've just thought of. Hassan Hutor did, what, about a year ago, lose uh, 9-0 to Man City. He had a really bad start. To Leicester, wasn't it? To Leicester, yeah. Sorry, yeah. It was Leicester, yeah. He had a really bad start as Southampton manager. Do you think, with crowds in and everything, do you think he could have survived at Newcastle? with that kind of a bad start I think under a different owner no but under this owner yes because we don't crowds seem to have no impact on whether Mike Ashley keeps or gets rid of a manager sure but I think our fans would have really gone after him wouldn't they but you know I I don't know because you've got to remember the the fans only really turned on Pardew when the the the, uh, the big slumps became what he did at, at Newcastle United. That, that's when the fans turned. It wasn't. It wasn't during his first one when they were calling for his head. It was after his third or fourth spell of five or six games losing on the bounce. Benitez went. What was it uh, ten games without a win? And the fans were still behind him. So I, I don't think we're necessarily like quick to pull the trigger on a, on a manager that we can at least see some positives there. I think the reason that so many fans have turned quickly on to Bruce, even though the Bruce hasn't had big slumps, is because the performances have been, on the whole, below average. I think that's why... And he, came, and he came in. He was already... He was starting in a negative when he... When he oh, yeah, because he was he replacing had, he had yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a point to prove. And, and Hasenhutl came as an unknown quantity. Everyone would be like, well, you might have heard something about him, but they'd be like, well, who's he? So, you know, that could have been like that as well. Yeah, I think with a huge reputation and everyone was delighted for him to arrive. So he came I, in incredibly. 
Hmm. I think the reaction would have been sort of the opposite to how it is with Bruce, where it's more vitriol online for Bruce and less in the stadium, where it's a bit more accepting of him. I think it would have been the other way around. Online fans would have been more into Hasenhutl and in the stadium after a 9-0 loss to a manager who's just come from a different league, I think would have been I think would have been a pretty bad atmosphere. Does anybody remember what they what Southampton what the result was that followed the nine nil? I think it was, I'm fairly, I think it was like a draw or something. Yeah, I think I think that's the big thing. If if in the next game you you in the stadium can see like a, a better performance or at least the players giving a shit and the players grafting hard that immediately just puts the fire out. If the next game is a loss, even with hard work, if it's another loss, then the fans will keep ratcheting up that pressure. And, you know, fair fucks, I'd I'd do the same. So I'll rattle through some Twitter. Reverend, the Reverend Joe Kinsella Kinsella says, what do you reckon uh, Newcastle want or need for Christmas? I know it's a way off, but it's... Good to plan early, and I can get to the shops. Well, Amazon, anyway. Uh, what do we need for Christmas? Well, yes, assuming we're talking about the January transfer window here, or it could be something else. What do we need for Christmas, Paul, Dave? If it's players, I think a central midfielder, although I'm not sure we'll get that, because I, I think Ashley would just say, well, you've got, You've got the two long staffs, Hayden, Shelby, and Hendrick, and you want the six. I think that we do need that though, and we need a backup striker for Callum Wilson. Yeah, I, th- I think if if uh, if it is about players, then yeah, definitely a defensive, like a, an out and out defensive midfielder. I've been saying it for for ages that we've only got Hayden who does that job, an out and out defensive midfielder. And yes, yeah, just some somebody. I, I would quite happily swap Dwight Gale for. I'd buy Ivan Tony back. I'd buy Adam Armstrong back. I'd um, take somebody on loan from one of the big clubs who, who who's not getting a game. I'd happily lose Dwight Gale or Andy. Certainly Andy Carroll. I'd happily take that hit and. Um, and bring in another strike, but the same problem that you've got in the centre of midfield, you've got up front because Ashley will say, "Hang on a second, you've got a forty million pound Joe Linton, a twenty million pound Callum Wilson, Andy Carroll, and Dwight Gale. Why do you need a fifth striker?" Sure, which you know could be, you know, a fair point. And if it's bigger, yeah, bigger thing than than players, I'd say a new owner. Yeah, if you sell, if you sell. Dwight Gale, because of his age and everything, actually in the market, Ivan Tony's probably worth more than Dwight Gale now, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, Ivan Tony went for ten million, like nine, ten million pound to Brentford. I'd be surprised if any, well, no Premier League club will pay nine, ten million pounds for Dwight Gale, and very few Championship clubs could afford to spend nine or ten million on Dwight Gale. Uh, Theo Penn says, some thoughts. Uh, Hayden needs to play instead of Hendricks. I think we all agree. ASM on the wing. I think we all agree that these points have been made so far. Murphy, Darlow, 
have been really good. Uh, versus Saints, one of the worst performances I've ever seen. Question, God forbid if Wilson is injured, who starts up top? Well, we've sort of covered all that, and it seems like we're pretty much in alignment with you, Theo. Tony Armstrong says, are statistics important? Do they tell us anything of use? Are you an anti-vaxxer? Um, <laughs> are, <laughs> um, are, <laughs> yeah. How come it's just people who... No, I'm not going to go down that road. We're going to make some jokes about COVID death stats. Okay, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) There's the title of the pod. (laughs) Save it for your YouTube channel, The Truth. Yeah. Fergus Craig. Are they... Are statistics important? Do they tell us anything of use? Are they a true or even just useful indicator of the in speech in quotation marks quality of a team for example and he makes he gives a good example to make his case here for example passes into the box bottom new nufc are bottom for passes into the box brackets must be crap third bottom leicester not crap good example so i read out his tweet quite badly there but do you follow what you're saying yeah Yeah. so the, th- the thing with statistics is that they are they should only ever be used as a backup to your argument. They, you can't base an opinion on statistics because statistics can can lead you down the wrong path. You know that, that thing that he, he mentioned like passes into the box, Newcastle United at the bottom, therefore having low score for passes into the box must be an indicator of you being a bad team doesn't necessarily follow because if you don't put many passes into the box but those passes often result in a, in a goal means that you're better than a team like for example Burnley who and certainly like um, uh, most Sam Allardyce's side they target the box because it's the area of maximum opportunity or something like that so they will just boot balls into the box at all times and so they would score quite highly on that and yet they're not necessarily a good football side so i I take i take this point that like are 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 they important if you want to make a point yeah i think that they, they are useful i think they're very important when you're trying to make it make a case that it takes it out of the realm of gut feel and takes the it out of it makes it more objective than sub subjective. And I think that's that's valuable. And certainly you see it across the, the, the top Premier League clubs now, all use um biometric data, they all use like performance data, they, they all like measure to to like the, the heart rate, the number of sprints, the, this, that, so that they can monitor their players to get the best out of the players. Yeah. Stats are important, but only ever if you're trying to make a point. They're not the be-all and end-all, and they they lie. Most important stat of all? Points on the board. <laughs> <laughs> I think goals. there's a lot, lot of goals. There is a lot of talk of how low we are in a lot of the metrics of how you judge a football team. I think the Leicester example is a good one for showing that some of those in isolation don't tell you the full story. Mm. Like the Leicester one tells you more about their style of play. But I think when you're 
so far down for so many different metrics, it sort of suggests you might be a shit team. Yeah. I think the ones that I that I come back to is is XG, XG against, shots on target against, um, possession, uh, because it, it helps me make the case that, the, and I've said it before, that there's three ways of playing football. You either defend well so that they can't score, you control the ball so they don't have it, so they can't score, or you score more than them. And we're not doing any of those. When we're not creating chances, we're not scoring goals, we're not controlling the ball because we don't have the possession of the ball, and we're allowing loads of shots on target. Well, that's in. Yeah, some I don't game. care. Yeah, but that's in some games. No, so that's, that's 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 like across okay. across the, the, the Southampton the game, for example, which was a we all agree not a great performance at all. Hmm. Their xG for that game was like zero point eight or something. It was like less than one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but the, they, they still had eight shots on target. Now, I know that some of those shots on target are going to be, you know, daisy cutters from 25 yards out that Darlow could, like, sneeze and it would stop the ball going into the net. But the fact is that they've had that opportunity and they have had a shot on target. And if it's, it, it's fundamentally true that if you allow more shots on target than any other team in the Premier League, you're relying on the fact that your keeper's good, to stop you conceding. Like, we've all seen keepers make a howler from a daisy cutter. We've all seen that, you know, if, if, you take more, if you get more shots on target, you're going to score more goals. If you allow more shots on target, you're going to concede more goals. Yeah. It depends that's, on the type of just, shots, but yeah. It just depends. Well, we could just, you could like, you could top that every season if your players just like, took a shot from 50 yards every time, you know, just every time they got the ball. Well, I last see there was that thing about XG and shots where Man City, if it had gone down to those stats, would have won the league by a good 15 points rather than be yeah. second by a mile. So it's not the be-all and end-all, but it's, it's that thing with stats. They're not concrete, but they show you trends. I don't think, yeah. I don't think we're bottom of so many of those things by design in a style of play that's it's not like but Leicester we where be? we're going to soak up shots our style of football is basically rope-a-dope like hope the other team wears themselves out shooting and then see what we can do in some games other games yeah. that's the problem as I well there's no consistent style of play for us no I think I think the the the, the question was, are they important and do they tell, tell us anything of use? Are statistics important? No. The only important statistic is the points on the board, like Fergus says. That's, that's the, we care about where we end up at the end, of, uh, at the end of the season. Do they tell us anything of use? Yeah. They tell us how fortunate we are to end up where we were. Like they, they say that we should, any other any other club that wasn't as fortunate would have conceded more of the goals that the, the more of the shots that, that peppered their goal. They w- wouldn't have scored as many goals as, as we did because the law of averages say that we overperformed all of these things. It tells us that we're a bad Premier League football side that we're fortunate to end up in that mid table safety zone. Sure, but if we finish in that mid table safety, if we finish in that roughly where the sal- our salary is in that. If we manage to do that two seasons in a row, 
then it tells us that we're doing, and that is a long way off, we're at the beginning of this season. But if we do manage to fish, finish somewhere around what our payroll says that we should do, if we do manage to comfortably survive relegation after flirting with it for a while, but finishing sort of low mid-table, then you'd have to say that we're, that we're outperforming our stats for two seasons in a row, which is a... Which would tell you maybe the stats aren't the same, aren't telling the full story. There's other stats we do well in as well. That thing about the Premier League defenders who are the least dribbled past, two of the top four are Newcastle players, Fernandes and Lascelles. So that would suggest we are actually quite a tough defence to get past, which might be why more shots are faced that are less harmful than other teams. There's not many one-on-ones against us. No. I think so. You look at Burnley as a good example of a team that's massively outperformed the the expected goals, the expected goals against, the shots on target, and stuff like that. They've they've outperformed that for pretty much their entire existence in the Premier League. I mean, that one one season they finished seventh. So they're they're an anomalous side, and it could be that we are a different anomalous side. But when you've got so many goals, shots going against your keeper when you've got so few chances being made. At the very least, you can admit that Newcastle United were not a good football side. We're not. No, I don't think we any of, I don't think there are many people out there making the case that we are. <laughs> no, <laughs> and it was the case a couple of seasons ago that at the very least we had a very good defence, top seven in defence we had. Sure, but we were still. Boring. <laughs> Speaking of which, this podcast has been going on a while. Um, <laughs> I've got one more um, question uh, on Twitter, and uh, I'm very keen to answer it because it's about me and Paul. It says, I should know this, having listened for at least a couple of seasons. This is Jordy Ash, by the way. But how did Ferguson Paul become fans of Newcastle? Oh. Um, I'll say mine. I'll say mine first because it's it's not that interesting. I am, believe it or not, originally from Newcastle, but left when I was thirteen. Moved to Essex, then went to drama school. Hence the voice you hear <laughs> right now. Uh, the use of hence, hence, the use of hence, which has never been used in Newcastle. You were given that word when you got to the city walls on your way out, weren't you? It's what, it's what we. <laughs> It's what we're keeping the coop. <laughs> sure, I don't know. I really don't understand what you're talking about, but sure. Um, <laughs> what are you keeping the coop? No, I get it. It was a, it was a, it's a chicken pun. Hey, you know, you guys love that. You know, I'll have, I'll have a I'll have a chicken pun stotty, please. Um, <laughs> uh, Jordy Ash says, like I said, yes, he, Paul. How did you become a fan of Newcastle? Well, my I've talked about this years ago on the pod, I think, but my great-great-uncle scored our first-ever league goal. It was called Thomas Crate in a two-all draw with Woolwich Arsenal, as they were at the time. So that's why I do. Now, we've only got three minutes left in our Zoom meeting. I don't know if I just want to use that time to touch on this. What could be a huge legal dispute if I say this out loud? But Jordi Ash also says, also around this time last year, a Cockney taxi driver told me that Roy Hodgson is into pegging. 
<laughs> Reckon he looks the type. <laughs> I'd worry for his health. I mean, I guess we'll say as a podcast, that's just hearsay. We have no idea. Taxi drivers wouldn't say it unless it was true, Fergus. Open your eyes. Now, I'm worried about my Google history here, but I kind of want to Google what pegging is. I'm not sure. Is pegging you, you like... You don't know what pegging is. Is it like... Is it like uh, docking? And you went is to it... drama school. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna, we've got two minutes left for this meeting. I Guys, Roy exactly what pegging is. This is live research. Are you Googling pegging now, Paul? It's basically getting oh, done with a strap on, isn't it? Yeah. It's what? Sorry? It's being done with a strap on. Oh, right. Oh, sure. In, in that case, right, do I reckon he looks... <laughs> First result that came up, apart from his Wikipedia, was Roy Hodgson satisfied with Crystal Palace draw at Swansea. <laughs> 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 so you Googled not just... You didn't, I've Googled Roy Google. Hodgson pegging. <laughs> well, the question was, do, no I, do I reckon he... As a phrase. Do I, the question was, do I reckon he looks the type? And the answer is, well, yeah, I think he does. Less than a minute left of this meeting. <laughs> I think we've got our title. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Can we do that? Damn. It's so libelous. Um, Jesus Christ, we can't finish it there. Let's start another <laughs> meeting, Paul, and finish up. <laughs> Wrapping up on the Roy Hodgson situation there. Look, we don't know. We don't know. It's just speculation. It's just hearsay. It's just a little bit of fun. If you're listening, Roy, if you do, if you are into that, then fine. But if you're not, also fine. Okay, I think that's cleared that up. So our yeah. next game is uh, against uh, Chelsea on the 21st of November. Uh, it's at home. It's a Saturday lunchtime kickoff. Oh, can you make an argument for us getting a point out of that, either <laughs> of you? I think the only argument for how we might do well in it is that we traditionally, at the moment, do well in the game after we've had a hiding. But Chelsea do look very good, so I would expect us to lose. I'll make another little case. I'm not sure what the Chase Chelsea players would have been doing. Presumably they're playing midweek internationals all off in different countries, certainly more so than our team. And the Saturday lunchtime fixture is the game you want to be playing the least. If three days ago you were in Azerbaijan or whatever. Therefore, we'll win. Dave? <clears throat> um, I think they've, they've conceded one goal in the last six games. Jesus. I can't see us scoring. I can't see us keeping them out. I mean... Yeah, they are suddenly learnt how to defend, haven't they? I mean, you would assume that Thiago Silva has something to do with that. Yeah, I think they're very good. I, I don't, I don't think. No, I, if we, hey, if we put in a really, really good defensive performance, um, we we might nick a goal. You never know because we've got players like Alan Maxman who 
on his day can can bamboozle defences and, and no matter how good they are and, and create something out of nothing. So maybe a draw, but no, honestly, I'm thinking quite a comfortable 2-0 win for them. Sure, I think I might go 3-0 then. So negative, Fergus. You're always negative. I think I'm going 2 0 Chelsea as well. I think with no Wilson and Fraser, it's gonna be of course, yeah, yeah. Did you hear Guardiola and Klopp going on about that lunchtime fixture? No, what did they say? They were both whinging about the Saturday lunchtime fixtures. Basically saying we understand that there's a lot of games. But if the side has been playing in Europe midweek, it's such a big difference playing the lunchtime fixture to playing just a few hours later. I think that's kind of fair enough, really, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is as well. Considering how many games are being played, they were both really livid about it. Understandably. I get it. I get it. But fuck them because yeah. they're doing really well. <laughs> if, if if we can benefit by them being knackered, then fuck them. Okay, well, there's the title of the pod. <laughs> All right. Well, in summary, I think that sums up. Yeah. <laughs> how we feel about everything. Fuck them. All right, uh, Paul Dillon, thank you very much. Thank you, Dave Watson. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you to you, the Newcastle Natter listener. We'll uh, have a podcast for you at some point in the next six months. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. A number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.